This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to Out to Lunch, the Dining Out podcast. Yes, it does what the title says. We choose a really good guest. We choose a fabulous restaurant. We order all the good food and all the good wine. And lo and behold, when you put all of that stuff in front of somebody interesting, they tend to talk and tell you the things they might not otherwise tell you. On this episode, my guest is the brilliant Homeland actor, the man from Supergirl himself, David Harewood. Can I just say this steak looks absolutely delicious? <laughs> I love the way you leaned into the microphone to say that. So for this episode of Out to Lunch, David Harewood gave me only two dietary requirements, no avocados, no cheese, easily dodged. So I have brought him to Quo Vardis in London, Soho, on Dean Street. Bit of an institution, been here, the building has, since mid-1920s. It's current incarnation, it's owned by the Hart Brothers, who have the Barafina Tapas restaurants, but the chef is the brilliant Jeremy Lee, who is a lovely, lovely cook, incredibly tasteful, cooks in a British style, informed by French cooking training. He does a marvellous eel sandwich and pies to die for. It's very sustaining food. Come on inside. Hello. David. How are you? I'm very well. Have you had the journey from hell? Yeah, it's been a bit like that, yeah. Would you like some water to kick off with? I'd love some water, and then let's crack on with the wine. I'm really <laughs> thirsty. Yeah, this is Nico. Nice to meet you. How are you, sir? Nice to meet very, you. Very, very good. Would you like some still sparkling <clears throat> apples? If you want? Sparkling for me, actually. Sparkling as well, please. Yes, please. Have this you been is here before? I, I have, many, many years ago. Um, but back then, we couldn't get in. Did you it's not? It's very bit posh up here. Yeah. I'm sure that's not the problem <laughs> anymore, David. <laughs> Right, well, then I'm going to pass you the wine list. Great. Might have a glass. Oh, I'm definitely going to have. Well, are we having a, a glass? Or we can go and look at the bottles. What are you up for? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm on hiatus. Are you? Yes. So. Do you prefer, you like red, so I, I know do, that. I do love a red. All right, I'll tell you what, pass it back. Chunky, gutsy red. <laughs> What's the Hearts Brothers special selection like? We have a lovely Graciano, the Hardbrose Tinto, which is from Galicia. Really gorgeous, and I think that you would just love it. That sounds like one up my street. Is that the, the Sierra Legredos? Absolutely. Go for that. Gorgeous. Brilliant. Wonderful. Now, before we hit the menus, yes, just yes. to kind of put this in context, mm-hmm. people have this vision right. of big TV American shows mm. and the rigour of them. Explain the audition process that you went through, the enormously detailed audition process that you went through to playing David Essers in Homeland. Oh, Homeland? Well, I mean, it is quite... It's quite a story, actually, because... Let me just go back a year before I did this audition. My best friend, who's Italian, 
he was the one guy who said to me, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. it We're talking a kid from home in Birmingham? Yeah, from Birmingham. He right. was my, my best mate. Right. Basically, my best mate from, from Birmingham. Louis, his name was. Italian guy. Very funny. Uh, hilariously funny. And was just convinced that I was going to make it. Oh, there's your bottle. Beautiful. Sound looks great. I've got a call one random Wednesday afternoon that at, he was dead. Oh, blimey. Um, went, in, went in for a routine knee operation and it's gorgeous. Pour away. Yes, absolutely. Marvellous. I'm loving this. My best mate, basically, who, I, who I, I met when I was literally 12. His mother was cooking great pasta and great Italian food and we were always going south of yeah. Italy, Avellino and... Cetara and Amalfi, and he introduced me to Italy, basically, Italian cuisine. Basically, he just randomly, out of the blue, he, he, had, he had died. And it crushed me. It was the first time in my life that I lost it. Just, they lost it, but I just completely was kind of a bit broken. I couldn't work, I couldn't act, I couldn't work. I didn't work for nine, ten months. And that was related, do you think, to a... A grief, depression that yeah, you fell into. Yeah, grief, complete grief. I don't know about you, but I realised when you know when I you know, walk on stage and when you when we do what we do, you need an enormous amount of confidence to walk into a room and walk into an audition. And I'd lost it. Kind of got my started to work a little bit again. My manager sent me this email with the script, Homeland, and he said, "Look, this is going to be the big show." of the year. It's got Claire Danes, Mandy Patinkin, it's going to be huge, the script's great. And I was just in my grief, I just went, oh, I can't be bothered, no. And he went, okay, and put the phone down, and about a, um, three weeks later, he rang, rang me up and said, you know, they really want to see your tape, you know, they're looking to see your tape, they, would you do it? And I went, nope, I don't really want to do it. <laughs> again, at the end of that week, he rang me up again, he went, look, he said, I know you've had a really bad time, but, you know, keep, put yourself on tape for this, because they really want to see it. And I just thought, bollocks, okay. So I got my phone, put it on the windowsill, said to my wife, you read the offlines and I'll just read it. So I just kind of read, read these lines, not particularly well. Sent it off, thought I'll never see that. <laughs> but about a week later, they said, um, you ring, rang me up and said, you know, you're really, they really like your, your tape. And I went, what tape? For Homeland. Oh, right, okay. I said, well, look, do you want me to do it properly? I said, you know, if I'm that close. You know, he, he said, they're trying to decide if it's if you're right, if you're not right. I said, well, maybe let me do it properly. So I got a friend of mine to come over with a proper camera and we sat there and we did it again on, on film. All, all I got was this email saying, congratulations. You've got the part. All it said was congratulations. So I rang him up and I said, well, congratulations for what? He says, you just got Homeland. And I looked at my wife and I, and I, because we were skinned. We were broke. It's not really a surprise. You had to be working for nine months. Exactly. But here's the story, right? I put the phone down and I, I said, I've, I've got it. She says, what? She says, I've got homeland. And she started to well up. Her eyes started to fill with water. And I, and I said, what is it? She said, do you know what day it is today? I said, no. She went, it's Louis's birthday. His birthday, the next year. And I have not stopped working since. Well, that's a brilliant story. That's how my career has so just t took off. So, you see, I was expecting a, a small story, if I'm honest, <laughs> about how you did a video and you chucked in and a couple of days later they called you and said you got the job. But actually, it's a much bigger story and a much better one. It's uh, really, I mean, I, 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 
I, you know, every now and again, I kind of look up and just say, thank you, Louis. Thanks, mate. So, menu. Just to let you know a few things on the menu that they're not mentioned actually today. The pie, we have a lovely chicken, rabbit, and bacon pie mm -hmm. with a mirepoir, a suet pastry. Right. Oysters today, coming from Carlingford, um, they're slightly creamy, I possibly say, about size two or three. Really gorgeous oysters, and off the menu, on the main courses, we have a beautiful sirloin steak. Oh, that's me. Which comes with some horseradish cream, pickled walnut, and watercress. Mm. So, did you just go, that's me? On that's the me, yeah. Then right. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to narrow, I'm playing this soccer aid game now. So, it's all about eating healthy. Protein, veg, greens. All right, okay. What about for a starter? I'm going to have the oysters. Okay, brilliant. And I'm going to, because I have to, um, because it's one of the greatest sandwiches in town, the smoked eel sandwich. Absolutely. Wow. Oh, believe me. Really? Yeah. People talk in hushed tones about... So the chef here is a guy called Jeremy Lee. You, because you're a prop... I'm going to go with... I'm going to follow this man, because I think he's going to... No, have your oysters and share the sandwich. Okay, cool. It will work. It'll be fine. And then I'm going to have the... Chicken with mayo and chips. How many oysters would you like it for me? Just three is fine. Three is fine. Make it six. I'll make it six. <laughs> three doesn't make any sense. Really? Yeah, then okay. I'll have three of your oysters and you have half an Ian sandwich. Yeah, then, then, then we're kind of evens. Then we're evens. And the other sides, maybe some of our lovely chunky chips over there. Chunky the chips. Things. Some greens, something yeah. nice and green. The other greens, we have some lovely uh, cabernero cabbages, leeks, or blanches. That together. looks fantastic. Gorgeous. Yeah, sounds fantastic. Marvellous. Mm. Let's go back, mm. all the way back to growing up in Birmingham. Mm. You did this documentary for the BBC, for anybody who's listening from outside the UK, on your experience of psychosis mm. in your early 20s. Yeah. There's a lot of great biographical detail in there, if I'm honest. There uh, was, that, yeah. I mean, that was what was, was very, I was very sort of exposed. The whole thing was incredibly... You were. Um, you, you grew up in Birmingham. Mm. You've described it as a very simple, very it happy was. childhood. Yeah, it was. Your parents were the, the first generation immigrants? Yes, from Barbados. When did they come over? Between 58 and 62. I think the, the, they didn't come together. You're born in 65. We're almost, yeah. I mean, a few months. We're a few months older. Right. A few months. And so, did you apply for a bunch of drama schools? I applied for loads. Of, I applied for every single one of them. How many did you get offers from? One. And... <laughs> I got turned down five times. I got into a place which I, I, I won't name because I later found out it wasn't one of the best. Fair enough, don't name uh, 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 so, so, but I, and I thought, So I, I cancelled. I remember cancelling what was then the top five drama schools because I was getting into this other place. Fate has stepped in several times in my life and fate stepped in again and... My, for some reason, my RADA cancellation letter never arrived. So I was sitting there all set to go to this drama school and I got a phone call and I picked it up and it was the, the principal of, of RADA saying, I'm just wondering why you didn't turn up for your audition yesterday. And I quickly surmised, I quickly surmised they hadn't got my letter. So I just lied. I just said, oh, my mother was ill, so I had to look after her. And they said, well... Lucky, your lucky day, because someone's dropped out tomorrow. Would you like another shot? I said, all right. So I literally just learnt my, learnt my speech again, learnt my song again. What was your piece? My piece was Iago. Okay. Actually, the one thing that has to be said for people whose memories don't stretch back that far, as absurd as it sounds, a black actor actually playing Iago in, what would this have been, 1983, 4? I mean, a black actor playing Othello was crazy in 1983. There'd never been a black Othello. I know, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Uh, well, Paul Robeson came over and played it um, in 
in the uh, 60s, 60s yeah. was famously turned away from the Savoy Hotel doing a press, a press junket. So, yeah, I was the first black Othello at the, Nas- the Royal National Theatre. Which is extraordinary to it me. It kind of is extraordinary. Food oh, is arriving. There's food. Here we are. That's the schlock vinegar for your gorgeous voices. Wow, you? look at that. And I say, this is something I've only just gotten my teeth... My what, oysters? Palate. Yes, I never used to... I never have oysters before. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. But now I love them. I'll have a little bit of the red, and then you put some of this... That's shallot vinegar, yeah. You see, because I'm from Birmingham, you say, so all, all this right. stuff is very, very posh. So I've only just started eating the likes of this stuff. Mmm. Mmm. It's good. Mmm, they're great. But it must still have been a bit of a culture shock. I mean, obviously, you know, you've just made this brilliant documentary about an episode which occurred somewhat thereafter, mm-hmm. not long after. Yeah. And you seem to attribute some of that dislocation, or certainly the stress, to, to that removal from the certainties of family and home. Um, I don't know about it, whether it was from the certainties of family. It was certainly removal from the certainties of friend, friends. Because I've always been in a tight-knit group. And whether that's my friends at school, or my family, or then my friends at RADA. And then suddenly I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't surrounded by friends. I found the business very competitive. And whereas at RADA you could, you know, you could sit next to the stage manager and have a great chat about, you know, like, you know, just, you know, you could sit and chat to the stage manager. It was no big deal, you know. We all drank in the same pub, we all were at the same drama school. So there was no... And it was supportive? In a supportive environment? Extremely supportive, yeah. I thought so. But the business isn't like that. No. And you can't sit. You're not supposed to sit with the stage managers because you're an actor. And I did. I wasn't aware of those fault lines. So when I came out, I was suddenly. I suddenly realised that there were these fault lines. That oh, people don't do that. You know, people don't rehearse. You know, in, in rather people would sit in the pub rehearsing. Oh really? Yeah. Well, uh, working, uh, running their lines running with their each lines other and kind of you know giving you you know giving you you know working together. But the business isn't like that. People are like oh six o'clock. I'm not going home. That's it. Done. You've had your four hours. Equity says. I'm not allowed to work past six hours. I'm going home. And we're like, I'm like, we're just halfway through the scene here. So I, I, I suddenly realised that there were, lot, there were things that you don't do now because you, we're professionals. And I hated it. I'm going to just... Oh, yeah, that's your... That, that half is there for you. Really? What is Smoked it? Smoked eel. Oh, wow. It does break with horseradish and sourdough toast. Oh, wow. And it's almost an idea more than a dish... And I think it is one of the best sandwiches Mm. in London. That is gorgeous. And as I've tithed it to you, I'm just going to nick one of your oysters. Go ahead. One of the more extraordinary revelations I found in in the Psychosis doc was, I mean, obviously all all the details of the episode you had were... It was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. And, um, you know, as a man who loves a story, it was a brilliant story, (laughs) apart from anything else. Your distress aside, it's obviously a distressing human experience, but we all love a story. Was you talking about the fact that you were in a Shakespeare, I think Romeo and Juliet... But the thing that struck me was you saying that the reviews made an awful lot of your colour. Mm. They referenced the fact that you were a black Romeo. All of them. And it took you by surprise. As almost as if race at that point had not occurred to you in that way. Which says very, very good things about your upbringing and your childhood. Well, and terrible things about theatre critics. <laughs> 
Well, things have changed now. But back <laughs> I then, hope so. but back then, it's like you know. I can. Re- I still remember watching Match of the Day and hearing reviewers talking about Cyril Regis's. You know, you, you can remember them saying, "Oh, this wonderful." He's so athletic and exotic, you know, exotic. The term's like exotic and he's so strong and muscular, you know, just, just the way that they talked about them was as if they were these, these sort of... Other beings. Other beings. And so I came, you know, think, as I say, things are very, somewhat different now. So we were the kind of first wave of, probably first wave of classically trained black actors. You know, there were stories of people walking out at the Royal Shakespeare Company when... A black king. My friend played the. My friend actually played the king of France in a production of King Lear, and people walked out when he when he came on stage. I'm not standing for this. A black king of France. They walked out. We were these new. How dare you? Exactly. We were these this new new kind of generation of others that was were, were breaking apart the, the structure of kind of 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 what what. It was to you know do Shakespeare. We were we were just coming from a very different world, and people a lot of people didn't like it. And, and where was this production, Romeo and Juliet? It was a touring production. We we're moving around every week, and as I say, so I'm not only am I away from my friends, I'm also touring. I mean, we're talking about Glasgow one night, and then you're in Newcastle, and then you're oh, in you Liverpool. Saw all the sights. It was fun, you know, but but it, but I was and you're staying in these. Digs, I mean, they're awful. You know, digs are like it was like all these kind of housewives who, you know, whose sons had gone off to university, and they just want, you know, oh, you know, come and stay in my my son's room. Did some you get of, the knock? Some of them, yeah. Did you? Yeah. Honestly. What sort of one? Are you lonely? Sort of. <laughs> and it was just, I just found it bizarre because you know you'd be drinking and sloshed and anything, you'd have to creep back to some, you know, person's house at two in the morning. And, you know, you'd step over the cat, step over the cat, and then somebody would come out and go, are you all right, love? And you'd go, yeah, I'm just coming in. And then she'd come up, how was the play? What year did the the psychotic episode that you made this a brilliant really, documentary about? This has been really difficult to kind of pin down, because... Um, you see, I'm delighted you said that, because I got the sense that you couldn't quite work out when it was. No, because I buried so much of it. And even the people around me couldn't quite work out exactly when it was. Because I think it was happening for quite a long time with the politics of my skin colour. Right. And, uh, you know, never having... You know, they were always the the racists. There were were skinheads who literally would attack you on sight back in the day. On sight. Two skinheads would attack a busload of black people back then. They literally would just attack you on sight, chase you. So when I came to London, I knew that there were... Obviously, there were people that didn't, you know, had... But I thought they were the extremes. So I probably wasn't used to the more sophisticated... Racism, which was coming from the critics, it was just a little the bit genteel more, style of racism. Yeah, it's more complex. It's more complex to say. You know, so re- reading a review which said it looks a bit more like Mike Tyson than than, than Romeo. I like read this, and I'd kind of go, you know, it just I ended up, I just had to stop reading them because none of them talked about my performance. It was all it was always to do with what's this black person? Were these were these Romeo? names? Were they people we so would recognise? Broadsheet newspapers. Seriously? Yeah. And I think that's when I started to, you know, drink. Drink a bit. Drink a bit. Oh, thank you. How's everything? Beautiful. Great. I'm going to steal that. I didn't, know you, would, didn't know you would. I didn't know you were sending the food away, mate. Yeah. Well, I thought you stopped. No, no, no. We well, said three, so that would be your fourth. Chatty. Scarf that one. Mmm, that's gorgeous.
They're, they're really lovely. Thank you very, very much. I would recommend anybody who hasn't seen Psychosis and Me. It's called Psychosis and, and Me. Yeah. And it's very detailed. It's very interesting. The thing that really struck me, I kind of became worried for you, actually, as if you were heading back towards some, not an episode, but it, it was... Do, at the dock? Yeah. Yeah, it was really tough. Had you expected that? No. I sort of went into it sort of thinking, I've got a general idea of what happened. But when my friends took me back to the hospital... That was the thing. That which... was the thing that really scared me, because I suddenly remembered it. I remember... Being held down on the floor by six policemen yeah. raging at the door. Yeah. I didn't remember the raging bit, but I remembered the being held down by the six policemen. And then I thought to myself, man, I must have been really out of there. And that same day, I picked up my medical records and literally everything that I said was, had been written down. You had a, a, a verbatim account of, of your episode, the everything. voices in your head everything. that sent you off to a, a, a very specific shop in Camden, which obviously I don't you sent yourself there. Let's I, be drove, I drove past it yesterday. So you drove past the shop that, you, mm. that the voice in your head told you to you so, go and look. Yeah, and, uh, but, that, but that was all the, the fluff. Because when I, so when I read the, 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 the medical records, and of course... The producer kept saying, oh, so just, just pretend like you're reading your records there and we'll just film you here. And you're not. You're actually reading them, I'm actually them, reading them. So I start reading this stuff and, and there's a camera right there and I'm reading what I was saying and it's really disturbing. It's your subconscious just pouring out all the pain. And I, I, I found it really difficult. And I'm, I'm glad we're doing this this week because literally, two, I, I've been an emotional wreck the last couple of weeks. I think the the whole, being so sort of open, I didn't realise just how open I I had You're a bleeding wound. I mean, a bleeding wound. And so when it went out, I, I didn't watch it. I actually decided not to watch it. I actually decided to have a a session with my therapist actually because duty of care. They said, look, we know we need to get you a. Had you had? I mean, obviously there was some treatment at the time, but had, had you had therapy? No, there wasn't. There wasn't. There wasn't really any therapy at the time. It was just like you know, no talking cures. Hardly, it was here's the medication and stay hardly here. Hardly anything. So I just literally bottled it and moved on with my life. So then year, years later, I did actually go into therapy and loved it. Really enjoyed it. I think it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Oh, people are so people bang on. Oh, something wrong with you? No, it's great to actually have someone examine what you're thinking. I, I keep thinking I should get round to paying someone oh, so I can talk about everything I want to talk about. Wonderful. I mean, I, I, I grew immensely, you know, through that period. Did you do it here or in L.A.? I did it here. And then I, during the documentary, um, as I said, they, as a duty of care, they said, you know, here's a list of people. And I went down the list and found a guy. And then throughout the, my season in Supergirl in Vancouver, every Sunday... We'd do it online. We'd just get online and we'd just I'd, I'd talk through my week. And I found that, again, tremendously anchoring. Because it's very easy when you're away to just completely disengage and drink. I mean, the life of you know, people think it's glamorous, glamorous, glamorous. It's not. It's that you're away from your family, you're away from home, and it's so easy to crack open a bottle of vino, or in my case, it's whiskey, and... and yeah, I've got nothing to do tomorrow. That kind of life actually can be quite alienating and isolating. It's extremely alienating. And, and LA is full of people like that. And and actually, when I got to LA, I realised that and thought, hang on a minute. 
I don't want to spend all my time trying to break into these different social circles just to, you know, try, try and find an anchor. So have you watched the documentary at all? I've seen it a thousand times. Oh, right, OK. Actually, you didn't watch it go out the night no, it went out. And actually, the night it went out, I was a nervous wreck. I've never been so nervous. The idea that I was suddenly telling my deepest, darkest and opening the doors to my, my inner life suddenly hit me. I must admit, the first time they showed it to me, I was in Vancouver, and they said, look, do you want us to have a therapist on standby? You know, and they, they, had, a, they had the laptop set up and they watched it with me. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Oh, some food has arrived. Wow. Excuse me, gentlemen. Beautiful. Can I just say this steak looks absolutely delicious? <laughs> I love the way you leaned into the microphone to say that. Coconut, I'll bring the green sprite. That looks really nice, actually. So turn that up. I need to have a look at this. That's a hell of a steak. It's very nice. There's a thing I normally do during this, which I've completely forgotten to do, but I'm going to do it now. You're going to take a picture of it? Of course I'm going to take a picture of it. I love that. Look, it's 2019. Nothing is eaten unless it's first photographed. You know that's how it works. And I know you're on a fitness jag, and I'll be going to No, but this is great. This is protein, right? I can eat this. Yeah, but they are really good chips. Really good chips. Marvellous. Marvellous. You sort of defined Homeland coming along. Yeah. And I'm happy to say I realised, I know there have been like seven series... Mm-hmm. I watched only the first two religiously, which means it's fine because I watched right up to the point at which you were blown up. <laughs> and then I, I lost interest. That. I just lost interest, David. So many people said that to me. In fact, the, in fact, I'll let you into a secret here. It wasn't supposed to be me who died in season two. I did wonder. I kept expecting you to walk through it the door. It was supposed to be Damien. Oh, what? Damien Lewis? Damien Lewis and Brody. Right. Brody was supposed to die. But because he'd been such a hit, and because he'd been everyone was, the studio, the writers wanted to get rid of him. Right, we've had enough the of them. Studio saying, no, 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 him in front of the season, get rid of somebody else, <laughs> him, get rid of him. And when they told me, I was like, okay, it was extraordinary. So I kind of, I just had this inkling halfway through the season. I thought, something. So were you not getting the script? You didn't get the whole season script. We so we're coming on a weekly basis. We get it on a weekly basis. I got episode four, and I don't know, I just had this point, mm. It was some, Saul came up to me, Mandy Patinkin come up, come up to my character and say something like, you're in the barrel or something. And I suddenly thought, whoa, that means I'm For the vulnerable. chop. That means I'm vulnerable. That just means I'm vulnerable. So come episode 
whatever it was, 12 when it happened. Or seven, whatever it was. I can't remember. At the risk of sounding like your therapist, how did that make you feel? Because Homeland was a big break for you, wasn't it? It was huge. Huge. Mate, I had... You were I had 80 quid in the bank the day I got Homeland. I was done. I was literally done. Toast. Did you think about leaving the business? Or did you not yeah. think... Yeah, I mean, and I remember... I remember actually a piece... I remember a piece in the paper saying, you know, David Harewood, great role. And I did The Mountaintop. And it was uh, where I played Martin Luther King. And it was great. You know, the play was a huge hit. Transferred to the West End. And someone said, you know, this guy's a really, really great actor. You know, if we're not careful, we're going to lose him to America. And I just sat there and went, too fucking right, you know. The end of that year, Louis died. And the very next year, I went off to Homeland, and I've not been here since. Although there was something else with Mountaintop, which was that when it did go to Broadway... It failed. But you also weren't casting it, were you? No. They wouldn't, that went to... They wouldn't, they wouldn't give it. They wouldn't... And that, again, and that's another issue, which... Well, it is... A, it, it's don't issue. look at the it's, microphone it, like that in a kind of, are we going there sort of way. It's a fascinating issue. And I, I've often... A surprising issue, yeah. That black British actors being cast as African-Americans, there, it's almost a, more contentious than white British actors being cast yeah. as white Americans. Yeah, it's contentious mm-hmm. within certain sections of the community over there. Spike Lee has been very vocal. Uh, and Specifically used, about you? Yeah. Samuel L. Jackson wrote a piece. Samuel L. Jackson did a, an, an interview a couple of years ago when he, when he was asked about the success of Get Out, the movie Get Out, and Daniel Kaluuya, who's obviously from North London. Yeah. Fantastic. Jordan Peele movie. Lovely. And a great film. Lovely. Great film, great performance. Love, I love Daniel. But Samuel kind of said, yeah, I'd love to have seen a real brother. A real oh, brother. Dude. Are you not black enough? Well, is he not black enough? The, the interviewer said, well, why do you think these British black actors are having success? And he said, well, because they're cheap. Oh. And I didn't like that. I must admit, I didn't like that. So I wrote a piece in The Guardian using the example of the mountaintop, saying, well, I had literally 20... All we had was 20 days to rehearse it. It was right off the back of me playing Mandela. And, you know, I remember when I got Mandela, I was terrified. I think, how do you play this myth? And then after you read his books, you read, you, re- you realise you've got to make a decision and play the man. Sure. You can't play the myth, you've got to play the man. And I sort of did the same with Martin Luther King. And I think in America they feel that we can't play that role because we don't understand what he means to black America. Ah. Because we don't understand... The cultural significance of... The cultural significance of who he is, we can't possibly play him. And I don't agree with that. I think, at the end of the day, it's a character on the page and I'm going to play the character. I'm not going to try and represent what he... I'm not going to... Take that on. I'm just going to play the character. And they really don't like that. The, the curious thing about the Homeland character, David, is it Estes? Estes, yeah. Estes. Was he in the, the script as far no. as you were? Was he ever written as black? No, he... Because there's nothing... It's just a character. I mean, yeah. It's just a map. Exactly. Which is really the world as it I should know be, it. hope it would be. Um, they couldn't find someone to play him. So they were constantly looking, and then they thought, let's just, let's throw it out, let's cast it black. And actually, funny enough, I did a, a Comic-Con uh, recently, and 
black guy got on the coach. You know, we were off to the venue. Black guy got on the coach. And I kind of went, you know, there weren't many black guys on the coach. So I kind of went, no, as you do, give him the nod. And he kind of ignored me. I thought, ooh, that's a bit, ooh. And he kind of went to the back of the, went to the back of the bus. Thought nothing of it. Laughing on the coach, having a joke. Uh, did the Comic Con, went back to the hotel. Everyone's in a great mood. Was this uh, because of your Supergirl role? Yeah. As the... As the Martian Manhunter. The Martian Manhunter. I see this guy get off the, behind me, get off the bus, and I said, look, you know, this is, we're all going up to the bar. I said, fancy coming up? And he kind of, mm, oh, I'll come join you. And I went up to the bar, and I'm, and I'm buying the rounds. I don't really care. I'm buying the rounds, I'm drinking, I'm having a great time. Eventually, he kind of chills out, and we get chatting, and we have we end up getting on like a house on fire. And he, then he says to me, I have to apologise for early, my attitude earlier on. I said, well, I didn't think it was a little bit... I said, oh, you know, I felt it. I said, you know, I felt it was a little... And he went, so the reason why is, is I was up for Estes. <laughs> he said, when I saw it, he says, not only were... He said, I, I said, I hate it. He said, as soon as I got on the bus, I saw it, he said, I hated you. He said, I hated you. He says, I hated you. And he says, then I hated you even, even more because you were good. <laughs> so I doubly hated you. And then he said he had to get over that. He had to get over that. Presumably, if, he, if he's on the bus... He must have been playing someone else interesting. Mm. But you're not telling me he's yeah, a great career. Yeah. He's had a great career. But he wanted that. Do you so feel I'm there's been so a... much trouble? Yeah, but you didn't name the person, it's fine. I didn't even try and draw it out of you because I'm a good man. And I'm not here to make your life hell. We'll try that later as I top up your glass. I'm already halfway there. Do you think? Yeah. Uh, great. He's good, isn't it? How's he stay? Lovely. I'm really I'm really enjoying this. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's all we're here for, is I mean, just to invite you to lunch. Posh on. food. Yeah. I, you know, it's all great. And entering the DC universe, as you have, yeah. as in DC Comics, yeah. that must be fun. I mean, you've commented once about you know taking your daughters on set at Homeland, and they didn't quite get it, and then Supergirl walks past, and now they've got it. It's, 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 it is fun. And, um, you know, we've been, I've been very lucky. You know, and this thing has run... It's the fifth season. How many months a year are you in Vancouver? Ten months. Do you come back a no, lot? I come back when I can. If I have, like, four days off, I'll come home. Doesn't leave much of a space for other acting, but do you think... I really I, miss it. You really miss the stage? I really miss it. And I can't wait to get back on stage. I can't wait to become, you know, a jobbing actor again. I mean, it's, it's been great fun, but with two kids... You just have to take that. You know, if someone's saying to you, we're going to give you a bag of money, you know, I mean, these contracts are, as I say, they're 10 months and you get very well paid. But the extraordinary thing, and again, winding back to my documentary, is that I've never had, all the jobs I've ever done, I've never had people just literally cross the street and go, just want to say, thank you so much. My dad, my sister, my brother, or my best mate, or my... It's just been ex- extraordinary and quite overwhelmed, actually. People who just literally just cross the street and just say, saw that documentary, thank you so much. Thank you. It's made me understand what happened to my dad. Or you know, It's just been over- quite overwhelming. And actually, it's been, for me, I normally wear hats and I normally quite hide. And, and I've not been. It's been really freeing for me, this whole thing of just going like, ah, here I am. And, and now people, now I walk down the street and people, you know, and that's why I love being in Stratton because it's so real. We're both of an age where 
time is playing its part. You're constantly on camera. Yeah, now. I hate it. You're, no, you I'm don't. constantly on a diet. Are you constantly on a diet? Constantly. Is that why you've really enjoyed being taken out to lunch today? Because you're actually getting to it. <laughs> but I, but yes, I'm constantly on a diet. But also, I'm also getting to that Dessert age. menu. Oh my God, let's go for that. <laughs> my, 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 whole, my whole shtick of getting fit has just gone out of the window. You're a fine, I, a fine figure of a man. I think I've just seen something. There is one thing here which has my name written on it already. What are you going to go for? Just because I know that Jeremy leaves chef here, his kitchen makes spectacular meringues. Meringue, which is you know, whipped egg white and sugar. And buttermilk pudding. What's some buttermilk pudding in Uh Buttermilk pudding will be a set milk pudding, a bit like a panna cotta. In fact, it probably is a panna cotta, but Jeremy's decided not to use an Italian word because it offends his British sensibilities. What are you going to have? I'm going to have the meringue. The brown sugar meringue with espresso granita and cream. And then I'm going to the gym. None of them are leaping off for me. I'm a, I'm a bread and butter pudding and... Well, well then can I suggest in. you get the almond cake? Oh, I'll go. And we, get, we get those two, the almond cake and the meringue. And then we'll put them in the middle of the table. And, and then we'll try yeah, and we'll yeah, see where, we'll see where um, that... I'm happy. It's great. We'll Don't buy me lunch. Big classic of Jeremy's actually the almond cake. Right. Really gorgeous. I mean, quite seriously, though, it's, that's the thing about being an yeah. actor, isn't it? It, it is about, uh, obviously, it's about the intellect and the character, the performance. <laughs> what you look like. But it's also about what you bloody look like. Well, it, I mean, look, if you don't care, then, you know, chew away. But, <laughs> but you do. But, but you sort of, you know, I can tune in and I, and I can literally see episode one to episode seven. I can see me getting fatter. <laughs> literally. No, I can see myself getting thinner. Because I start to run and train and get healthy. And then episode 7 to 14, I'm like, pies, booze, drinking. I'm obviously not one to, to talk. <laughs> and I go, I go through waves. I've got bigger, I've got a bit smaller at the moment. Uh, here we go. What's, what's happening? I think this is cutlery. I oh, know oh, you're going to have your tablecloth scraped in the most oh, beautiful nice. way by Nika. What's actually getting in this and it's, it's a hot, there's, there's very I just remember my mum just coming through with the tea towel, just sort of giving it a bit of a wipe. But this is... You get you get various levels. That's very classy. Can you buy those? Can you buy those? Yes, absolutely. There's a there's a shop up on um, the top of Shaftesbury Avenue called uh, Denton's. Yes, Denny's. Is it Denny's? Denny's. Denny's. They have some massive catering supplies. They'll have a whole selection, even down to one which looks like a mini dustpan and brush on a stick, so you can get like that. I'm fine. I'm fine. Give it to David. Um, I, will, I will finish that. No, no, I'm good. I've I'm got an interview good. later on today, and I, I think I'm, I'm just set up for that. Do you think so? Yeah. Do you think I, I'm basically being... You've set uh, me up. You've teed me up rather nicely. It makes me sound like a fluffer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fine. I can take that right. Yeah. Oh, here we are. I think they just go wow. like that. Wow. Two of the most beautiful... What's that one? That's, that's the, the meringue. meringue. Wow. Good the, choice. The Indeed. almond cake over there. Beautiful. I believe you can get meringue in Birmingham now. As well. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Uh, no, I've reviewed in Birmingham very well. So what's hot in Birmingham? I mean, there's lots of... I mean, Marco's just closed his place. Didn't he close it? Do you know? Uh, we're, not, heard, we're not close, I, Marco and I. I heard I some very bad stories about the do you, want to, do you want to know the worst one? So it was at the top of one of the yeah. hotels. And if you paid an extra £5, you could have a window seat. That's the only place I've ever heard that charged extra to allow you to sit by the window. And for your five pounds, and please don't take this the wrong way, Birmingham, you've got a view of Birmingham. (laughs) Which is worth the (laughs) fire. Which is... 
Five for each, let's be clear, for a table of two. No, there, there are some great restaurants in Birmingham and, um, you know, it's got its Michelin stars. My favourite, it has to be said, is a brilliant Polish place. Oh, wow. In the old Polish, whatever it was, cultural centre, um, which looks like one of those old grey Stalinist buildings from right. Warsaw, circa 74. And you go in into this grey block of a building and it's done out like a, a, a Polish country... Wow. Cottage with wood beams and pelts over the back of chairs and fairy lights and flat screens TVs showing Polish television. That's great. <laughs> and the food is fantastic as well. So you have to get into these. Right. Brown sugar meringue and almond cake. But almond go cake. for whichever one you think has got your name I've, on it. I'm going to have seen them. I, think, I, I can see the way yes, you're moving. The, the yes. meringue is speaking to you, isn't it? It is. It is. Do you cook at all? I do. Um, I'm not. Mm, that's very nice. You know, it's a meringue down there. That's very nice. I say down there because we're at the top of the building and the kitchen is right down in the I, ground floor. I do cook, but because I've been travelling so much, I get used to the food over there. Well, in Vancouver. In Vancouver. And also... Is, is it, it good? There's a particular restaurant, I think, an Italian that you have expressed. Yes, there's a nice Italian there that I like. I can't remember the name of it. It's on Mainland Street. Chiopinos. That's exactly the one. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears> how do you know about that? We know everything. My God. It's like the CIA. I certainly hope not. <laughs> um, no, it's... it's uh, I, I, I'm, the, 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 thing about, the thing about working away so much is that you spend 10 months sort of cooking for one, basically. Right. Getting in the door at midnight and knowing you've got that defrosted chicken, you know, in the freezer and thinking, oh, I can't be bothered. And then you wake up in the morning and it's off. You throw enormous amounts of food away. So then you start thinking to yourself, I can't do that. And it's a really odd sort of lifestyle as an actor. You're never, you're never home long enough to sort of prepare. Have you tried feeding yourself from craft services solely? I wouldn't want to do that. I've had long discussions with various of your acting colleagues. I wouldn't want to do that. I'm fascinated by craft services. But also, I realise, you know, I'm getting on now. I'm 54, uh, realising that I have... Yeah, a bit of hypertension. And because of the hypertension, it's the kidneys. Got to be careful. So no salt. Cutting down on the meat. Cutting down on the... Eating more fresh vegetables. So I'm trying to kind of rearrange my eating habits. We send out for, you know, dietaries. We always, with our guests. Some people are more complicated than others. Oh, really? Yeah. But you specified just two things. What's that? Avocados <laughs> and cheese. So... I don't know why yeah. Well, I, 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 you know, it's I, literally, my wife literally has got this. She's into avocados. And she, she, is that what it is? So you thought the last thing I want when I go out for lunch with somebody else is a fucking avocado. But she she did this avocado toast thing the other day, mm. and I was nearly sick. I was I nearly threw up. It's like marmite for me. It's like you either love it or you hate it, and I hate it. Jesus, how did you get through the Los Angeles years, David? How? I never how? had avocado. That's how I got through it. Great. Yes. I can imagine what you had for breakfast. I mean, that city is practically, it's a city built on avocado. And waffles. Yeah, true, there's waffles. I like waffles. Okay. No, waffles are a good thing. Is it the texture with the avocado or the yeah. combination of vegetable fat and... It's just a texture. Is it? Mm. <clears throat> has this been, has this caused marital strife in the Harewood, <laughs> in the Harewood household? She loves it. I just hate it. All right. 
So, I, I mean, I did think this place was probably fine because I, I, of all the things that Quo Vadis and Jeremy Lee do, avocados are not keen among them. Keen do you know, them. I've had a fun... Why did you pick this place? Because, actually, you didn't really set any dietary requirements at all. Some people have, have created quite narrow frameworks. Oh, wow. And I won't name them. But they... They've been, so it sent what, us... Know on. this and know that, And can you have this? Know this, know that, know that, know that. Don't do that. Wow. Um, wow. And as you didn't, I just thought, I'll go for someone I really like. <laughs> so, I'm very glad you did. I'm having um, a great time. Well, listen, um, David, thank you uh, for letting me take you out to lunch. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope this has been... I mean, I hope I haven't wasted your time. No, but you have I've wasted a bit of meringue. Is that meringue or is that well, just, what is that there? My meringue, cream, coffee, it's I'm all gonna, the good things. I'm going to have it. I think you should. Well, I'm going to get in there. After all, as you say, you're on a break. I'm a brummy and you've taken me to a posh restaurant. So I'm going to finish everything. Perfect. Well, that was an awful lot of fun. Please rate and review us because we love being reviewed. And do share us and don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and that way you will never miss an episode. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production and was brought to you by Josh Gibbs, Jemima Rathbone, Hannah Newton, Selena Ream, Darby Doris and Steve Ackerman. The music was written, arranged and performed by me, Jay Rayner and Robert Rickenberg on bass. Don't forget to check out other episodes and next time... We'll end this series by drawing back the veil on Out to Lunch, because here's the thing. Going out to lunch does not take 45 minutes. It can take two hours or even more, which means there are lots of juicy morsels which never made the cut on the episodes we've already dropped. So come back and we'll give you lots and lots of extra scraps. (laughs) 